Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, how you doing? Happy what is this? Happy Tuesday. Right, happy Tuesday. Starting to merge all into one. I've been doing I, I did two I did uh, two shows yesterday, pre-record and a regular show yesterday. And I just did a pre-record and a regular show today. So it's all starting to merge into one big show. So it's Tuesday. I'm happy. Oh, it's Mandalorian night, right? For everybody that wants to stay up late to watch the Mandalorian, right? Because they're gonna the that last episode of the season is gonna be out today at what midnight. Midnight, midnight, midnight. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. I can't wait to start doing my Star Wars reviews. I've been kind of holding off on it because I'm not I'm not an expert on Star Wars like a lot of these people that are doing reviews. So I have to do a lot of research in order to read it. So I'm going to do it tomorrow, though. There should be a review out tomorrow. Anyway, I'll shut up now with that. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. I'm way ahead of myself. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts paranormal investigation team based out of sacramento california we are 45 strong up and down the state which means we can help you no matter where you're at it may take us a little bit to get to you because california is a huge state right but we can get to you and if we can't get to you right away we have mediums on staff who can consult with you and in some cases depending on what's going on in your home or business they can calm things down before we get there so that's that's a huge plus i want to welcome everybody tonight and uh, we got a great show tonight. Dan, I hope I say the man's name right. I'm horrible for names. Dan, oh, Dan Harari. So hopefully I say the name right. Uh, he's got a great story to tell. He's 14 years old, had his first Uf, UFO encounter. And uh, he's got some other things to talk about, too, as well. So we're going to be doing that. In the meantime, if you're watching from Facebook, as a lot of you are tonight, please be sure to hit that like button and uh, those happy faces and those hearts because the more of this we get, the more of this we get, the higher up we go in the algorithm. Just like over if you're watching from YouTube, uh, same thing, you know, click that like and heart button if you if if you like what you see because we want to be higher in the algorithm and it's working. It's really, it's, it's working. And I'm really excited to see it working. I want to thank everybody for following us all this time. You know, we started out almost four, it's going to be, what, four years. Nearly four years. Because we're on our 171st episode for, for our third season. So it's getting there. Um, but uh, it's, been a, it's been a while. And uh, the numbers have gone up, 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 up in our RSS feed. Feed that goes all over the United States and all over Europe and all over the world. Fantastic. The numbers are just are just jumping, jumping, jumping. So we want to keep that going. All right. If you haven't done so already and you like what you see tonight on Facebook, please be sure to follow. Um, we have... Oh, we have more than, I'll say more than, we have more than 581 videos. I'm sorry, it took me a second. More than 581 videos out there. And you can see actually see those on our YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And uh, I'm a journalist, so I don't like to concentrate on one type of thing, like paranormal or whatever. I like to mix it up. So you're going to see all kinds of stuff on there, all kinds of, you know, people eating bugs, you know, and, and, and people that go after killer bees and all kinds of stuff, just different topics. So check it out over there. Okay, that's all done. I've said my piece. 
now I'm going to bring um, Dan on, and he can tell you about himself, and we'll take it from there. So here we go. Hi. How you doing? Hi. You did pretty good with my last name. It's it's Harari. Harari. All right. I always tend to screw last names up. You came very close. Um, <laughs> you're actually, there are people, half of my family says Harari and half says Harari. So you were 50% correct. Terrific. We're off to a good start. Absolutely. Tell me about you, sir. Okay. So my name is Dan Harari and uh, I live and work from my home in Beverly Hills, California. I'm a Hollywood publicist Ooh. by trade. I have been a Hollywood publicist for 40 years. This coming January will be 40 years, which I can't believe. And um, I work in the entertainment industry. I have my own PR firm called Asbury PR Agency. If anybody needs PR out there, look me up. Asbury, A-S-B-U-R-Y, PR Agency. That's my company. Cool. A little about me is um, I grew up just outside Asbury Park, New Jersey. And Bruce Springsteen made Asbury Park very famous in the 70s. I actually worked with Bruce in 1973. I was the stage manager at a little rock concert hall. I was 16 years old and Bruce Springsteen were, uh, played there one night and my best friend and I did stage crew and the lighting for him. And uh, the next day, Clarence Clemens, his sax player, asked us if we wanted to go on the road as their road crew. Wow. And I said, and this is a true story. And I said, Clarence, we're 16. We don't drive. And I'm pretty sure our fathers want us to go to college. <laughs> so my friend Steve and I turned down Bruce Springsteen. We could have been his road to now, you know. So I'd be, I would have been schlepping amplifiers for the next 50 years of my life. There you go. I went Running to college. Cables. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> I, turned, I don't think I turned down anything really uh, horrible. That's right. Uh, I, went to, I went to college and I uh, went to Boston University. I studied communications and Howard Stern, the famous radio host, was at my school uh, two years ahead of me. I didn't meet him then. I met him many years later in Hollywood. Actually, I met him 10 years later in Hollywood. But Howard Stern, we used to see him in the hallway because he was so tall. I think he's 6'5". So uh, I remember seeing Howard Stern in the hallway at Boston University when I was there. That's really cool. After college, I worked at Columbia Pictures in New York City in their PR department. I worked with Brooke Shields when she was 15, and she had a hit movie that just came out then called The Blue Lagoon. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew Brooke and her mother, and um, people didn't get along with her mother too well, but I did. And when I saw Brooke again more recently, about 15 years ago, I told her that me, her, and her mother had watched the Blue Lagoon together privately in a private screening room, just the three of us. And she goes, wow, you have some memory. And I said, Brooke, who could forget you? Very nice lady she was and is now still. Uh, in 1980, in the fall, I had a female friend from New York who had just moved to Los Angeles uh, to live out here with her boyfriend on Venice Beach. And she invited me to come visit California. So I, this is, a, this is my, one of my best stories. I was 24 years old, 1980, and she said, why don't you come visit? So I told my dad, I said, dad, should I go visit my friend Joanne in California? He goes, schmuck, why don't you just move there? 
And I said, oh, okay. And that was it. In my whole life, the future of my entire life went from that schmuck. Why don't you move there? And I said, oh, okay. And I did. <laughs> and I've been out of California for 43 years because my father yelled at me and told me to move out here. So I did. When I came out, I was 24. I had no, I had no job. I had no job, no car, no money. Uh, I slept on my friend's couch for a year, for a year. We also lived with cockroaches, I might add, very large ones. So um, I guess people, people say I'm a success story. I suppose I'm a success story because I never gave up. Mm -hmm. um, I, at one point, I was down to $6. I literally had $6 in, to the, in the world and no income at all. And my dad, God bless him, came out and gave me some money, and he took me grocery shopping, and he bought me a steak. And he said, as long as I'm alive, you'll never starve. And then he went back to New Jersey. So I stumbled and bumbled for a while. The first year and a half I was here. Then uh, I got a job at the American Film Institute, which is a really good film college up in the Hollywood Hills. I worked there for a year and a half. And then, Charlotte, I became the, the first publicist ever for the Playboy Channel, of all things. And the funny part of that story is I had just gotten married. <laughs> so I married a very cute lady. But then I'm working at the Playboy Channel for two and a half years. So literally surrounded by naked, gorgeous, naked women for two and a half years. And uh, they'd come in my office and my wife would, would, would yell at me, you know, because... I bet. For, for, for obvious reasons. She always knew. She always knew when they were in there flirting with me every time. Uh, from there, I went to Columbia Pictures Television in Burbank. Uh, at the time, that studio was attached to Warner Brothers. So it was the Warner Brother Columbia studio lot. And I had one of those little, uh, little golf, golf carts, you know, those cute little right. movies. I had one of those. And I used to zip, zip around and I'd see Barbara Streisand and, and uh, Clint Eastwood and Richard Dreyfuss. I once saw Madonna and she winked at me. Uh, Jim Henson. Uh, I, had, I became friendly with Mickey Dolenz in that era. Mickey Dolenz was the, uh, the drummer from the Monkees. When I was 10 years old, he was my absolute hero in life. You could probably see behind me, I played the drums. And I have been playing the drums for 66 years because of Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees. So when I would, when I knew him at Columbia, he was a director then, and he and I used to have lunch together. And I said, Mickey, I said, I've been playing drums my whole life because of you. And he goes, cool, man. I hear that all the time. <laughs> so that was, I got to meet my childhood hero, you know. Fantastic. Um, after Columbia, I then worked for 10 years for two of the biggest Hollywood uh, celebrity PR companies for a total of 10 years. During that time, I was Jay Leno's publicist when he got The Tonight Show. So I knew Jay pretty well, and uh, I would hang out with him backstage at The Tonight Show. He'd be in his underwear, and we'd be having meetings. And you know, he wasn't the least bit embarrassed, or, or he was just the same guy. And I met him again more recently in a, in a supermarket. Last year, I bumped into him. Three, three weeks in a row in the same supermarket. And he's still the same nice guy. He's always very genuine. Jay has always been very genuine. When I turned 40 in 1996, I decided to start my own company, which I did. So my company is 26 and a half years old, Asbury PR Agency. You can sort of see on my walls, 
behind me, that's me and pictures of me with Spielberg, Jerry Seinfeld, Mel Brooks, Dr. Ruth, Alice Cooper, Steven Spielberg, I think I said Mickey Dolenz, uh, Milton Berle, and Margaret. I have wonderful photos. Last year, I became an author with my first book, which is called Flirting with Fame. If anyone wants to read inside stories about Hollywood, go to Amazon and check out my first book, Flirting with Fame. I have, I think I have 40 photos of me with famous people in there. And it's my behind the scenes stories. Some of them are really quite funny. For example, when I met Meryl Streep, I was so nervous. I was shaking Meryl Streep's hand. I was so nervous. The woman standing next to me, her name was Carla, okay? So when I met Meryl Streep, I'm shaking Meryl Streep's hand. And I said, Carla, it's so nice to meet you. I called Meryl Streep Carla because that's how nervous I was. She looked at me like the RCA Victor dog, like, what did you just say? And then she turned and fled for her life. So I have a lot of funny stories like that. Now we come to UFOs and aliens and those kinds of weird, creepy things. Um, in 1970, so now I'm going to go back in time, 1970, I was 14 years old and I was with my dad in his car. My dad picked me up from school and driving me home, suburban New Jersey, 19, March, 1970. And we're in his car and I see up through the windshield an enorm in the sky, an enormous silver, bright silver V, the letter V like Victor, craft. And it was hovering, it was hovering over my father's car. And it was hardly moving at all. It was maybe two, 300 feet up there. It was pretty low. And we saw it, it was probably, each wing was about the size of two buses. It was pretty big. So I go, dad, stop the car. Look, a UFO, a UFO, stop the car. So we stopped the car. My dad and I got out of the car. We looked up at it. I was jumping up in 14. I'm jumping up in 10. Dad, look, how cool, how cool. Look at that. We've seen, we're seeing a UFO together. We're seeing a UFO. And, and Charlie, he looked at it like he was looking at a head of lettuce at the supermarket. He looked at it like he knew what it was. No expression whatsoever. And we'll get to more about my dad in a minute. Sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he just wasn't scared, wasn't happy, wasn't excited, wasn't ner no, literally like you or I would be looking at a pencil. Just commonplace for him. Mm -hmm. We get back in the car, we go home. I, this is 1970, I had a rotary phone in the kitchen. I remember the rotary phone. I called the newspaper and I said, hi, my name is Danny. I'm 14 years old. I just saw a UFO with my dad in our neighborhood. And the lady said, young man, I have to go. I, I, I'm getting hundreds of calls right now. She goes, we're, we're, we're getting calls. We have to go. I, I can't talk to you right now. Nothing ever ran in the newspaper about that sighting. I looked every day. Nothing ever ran. Okay, so now we come to the interesting part of that story. <laughs> in the year 2017, 47 years later, my dad passed away. In fact, he passed away six years ago yesterday. 2017, April, my dad passed away. I was very sad. He died in Florida. Um, I was at a deli in West LA and I ordered, a, I ordered a pastrami sandwich from the waiter. And as I'm sitting there being sad, missing my dad, and I swear this is true, 
some kind of beam of light or energy or something came from outside the window into my head from the something from heaven from the universe from my dad from an angel i don't know where it came from but something came into my head and charlotte it played me the movie of that 1970 sighting i had with my father i saw Wow. In my mind, for the first time in 47 years, the sighting I had with my dad in 1970 it came, all came back to me. Like I'm looking at you right now. Hmm. And I'm watching it while I'm waiting for my sandwich. I'm watching it. And I realized two things. One, I saw that my dad had no expression on his face. And then I remembered the most wonderful part of the whole story. After he looked up, he looked at me. He winked at me. My dad winked at me and said, let's go home now. Okay. So while I'm waiting for my food, and I realized for the first time, I'm like, wow, my dad knew what that was. <laughs> and now I'll tell you why. My dad was an electronics engineer for the U.S. Army for 45 years, Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. It was an Army base. Mm -hmm. He was a very high-ranking civilian, but he was a genius uh, electronic scientist. He had top-secret clearance there. Um, everything my dad did in his career, he invented and designed radar systems and, and drones and missiles. So, so what do they all have in common? These are things that are in the sky or in, right. are involved with craft in the sky. So... Shortly after this revelation, and I realized my dad must have known what that was, I called my mother, and my mother's still alive. And I said, Mom, did Dad ever talk about UFOs? And she said, no. But when he started work at Fort Monmouth, this is in 1951. Now, think about that. That's only four years after the Roswell crash. Okay, keep that in mind. In 1951, my dad was at Fort Monmouth the top secret army base, they took him deep into the vault, my mother said, deep into the vault. They showed him something top secret, and they said to him, as long as you live, you can never tell anyone what you saw here today. So my dad came home, my, and my mother said he was pale and nervous and jerky, and she said, what's wrong? And he goes, he goes, I saw something today that I can never talk to anyone about ever. And my mother said something interesting. She said he was never quite the same after that. So, putting all of these things together, my dad worked for the U.S. Army for 45 years. He had top secret clearance. He worked at an army base. He invented things that were in the sky for 45 years. My mother told me he saw something top secret that he could never, ever talk about. Um, Richard Dolan, the UFO researcher, Richard Dolan, if you know who he is, yes. he has a book called After Disclosure. Volume one. And in that book in the back, there is a, a list of UFO sightings over military, American military bases. And there were two over Fort Monmouth, my dad's place of employment. There was one there in 1951, the year he started. And there was one there in 1952, two radar detected UFO sightings over Fort Monmouth, right when my dad had started working. Put all of those things together. Now, I'm with my dad. We're, we see an enormous V. I'm jumping up and down. It's like seeing a pyramid of Egypt in the sky. It's completely 
completely incongruous with my suburban neighborhood. And my dad looked at it like it was no big deal. So that's when I realized he must have known what that was. I believe, Charlotte, I believe in my heart that it was man-made U.S. military craft that I saw using reverse-engineered uh, UFO crash technology. Mm-hmm. Whether or not my dad built it, was part of it, helped design it, knew about electronics, there's no way to know because he passed away. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you that I know in my heart that he knew what that was based on his reaction that day and the fact that he winked at me and said, come on, let's go home. So that that's, that story gave birth to my book. Actually, Nick Nick Pope signed this copy. You know Nick Pope? There we yes, go. there we go. Very nice. Thank you. That's great. No problem. Now, your dad working for the military, but you know what? That makes a lot of sense to me because a lot of these UFOs that people report, I grew up next to an air base. Okay. And it's and it, it was a repair air base for the different planes that came in. And I remember seeing the B-1 bomber when they first built it. Okay. And what it looked like at night. Wow. And you couldn't tell anything except for the lights that, you know, that were on the edges of it. And it looked like a UFO coming in. Sure. So it, what, what you're saying about your dad and everything makes a lot of sense because a lot of this stuff I see on TV, and I don't want to knock these TV shows down, but a lot of these things, these reports that I'm seeing on TV look like the B-1 bomber. Well, just because here's my here's my opinion. Just be all right. So a lot of things can be a UFO, mm-hmm. Not, and that doesn't mean a flying saucer with aliens from Mars or Pleiades. Right. A UFO is something that's not easily identified, really, with a human eye or with a telescope. Mm-hmm. In this modern era, there are so many. Our, our technology is so advanced. Mm-hmm that we certainly, we, the American government, certainly has craft that would appear to most of us. If we saw it at night, we'd say, oh, UFO, UFO, aliens, aliens. Not necessarily. Or China or Russia or North Korea, I don't think they're at that point yet, but any of our enemies would have technology that would mimic UFOs, all right? Mm -hmm. Right. Get back to my dad for a second. In the... In this, I, I used to tease my dad over the years as I got older. I always used to say that, Dad, what do you what do you do again for a living? You know, what do you do? And his standard joke was, I helped America win the Cold War. That's what, That was his go-to joke. But one time, Charlotte, he told me something. He said, you know, I once invented a drone that looked like a flying garbage can. And it was used to, to fly over North Vietnam and, and it had film cameras inside of it mm-hmm. to click click pictures. And he said once the pictures click, click, click was done, the film canisters would then be par- – this is pretty – this might have been the 60s or early 70s. The film canisters would come out with little parachutes. They'd come in little parachutes, and they'd have beacon, beeping. So American military would know where to get the roll. Think about it. Rolls of film, right? Rolls of film. There's no digital cameras in in 1971, right? Right. So there are many, many things that can be a UFO. Mm -hmm. Having said that, 
I saw two other craft later in my life that I believe were extraterrestrial. So the one with my dad, I really do think was man-made mm-hmm. based on his reaction. Sure. And we lived near a military base. Um, recently, someone wrote to me, they read about my book and someone wrote to me two weeks ago and said, Dan, my older sibling saw the same UFO you saw in March 1970 in New Jersey. They thought they were crazy all these years. And until they read about you, now they finally know that what they saw was real. Can you imagine? From 1970, I just got a verification the other day on email from them. That's Um, something. So there are, no, no. There are extraterrestrial beings. They absolutely exist. They've been here visiting Earth for tens of thousands of years. I am a strong advocate of Eric Van Daniken's ancient alien theory. I met Eric last month. I gave him my book as a gift. He goes, oh, cool. I haven't read this one. (laughs) I said, Eric, it just came out three days ago. So I signed it to him. I gave him a copy of my book. He proposes that we, we, the human race, of course, you know this, but maybe some of your visitors, listeners might not know. Eric Van Daniken in 1968 wrote a book, Chariots of the Gods. Right. And he proposed that extraterrestrial life has been visiting mankind for tens of thousands of years. And there's evidence all over the world that they were here, such as um, cave drawings, cave paintings and cave drawings all over the world of of things in the sky and weird looking beings. Um, the American Indians in the American Southwest, there are petroglyphs all over there on the, on the, on the sides of mountains and stones carved. They call them their, the Star Brothers or the Space Brothers. There are biblical references to extraterrestrial craft in the Bible, Hebrew Bible. Um, let's think about this, angels. Okay, angels, right? Sure. Angels, angels on their face are extraterrestrial beings. Right. Angels. If an angel came and visited any of our, any of our prophet Moses or, or or Elijah or any of our prophets, okay. So on their on their on the face of them, an angel coming down from heaven is, is an extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Renaissance paintings. Now this is very interesting. There's a lot of Renaissance art that has. UFOs in the sky in paintings from the 1500s and the 1600s during the Renaissance. Um, in 2007, I joined MUFON LA. I'm sure mm-hmm. your people know what MUFON is. Sure. So in 07, I joined MUFON LA. The first lecture that I attended was by Giorgio Tsoukalos, the guy with the crazy black hair yep. from ancient, ancient Aliens TV show. He was my first lecture, and he did 90 minutes on ancient alien theory and charlotte i was so moved and so touched and so amazed at his presentation that i started to cry i actually started to cry and at the end i hugged him and i said giorgio thank you so much for opening my eyes to a whole a whole different version of mankind's history i said i never knew any of these things i never knew any of this stuff so i've been a big big proponent of of ancient alien theory ever since then um, knowing what, you know, knowing that that was man-made now, let's go back and let's digress a little bit. Sure. And like you say that the, your father had, had worked at that military base. 
how, how, how did you feel when he kind of winked? I mean, how did that make you feel as a kid? Because you were all excited. Okay, so Joe, that's the best part of the story. I forgot the entire thing for 47 years. Wow. Right? Right. So 2017, when I'm waiting for my sandwich, all of it came back, the sighting itself and my dad's <laughs> reaction and my dad's wink. So it's a great question. But And, I, in, and I've been doing podcasts for the last two months all over the world. And everyone sure. said, Dan, how could you forget such an amazing right. sighting? And I say, I know. I, it, it doesn't make any sense. One guy asked me if I was abducted and had missing time. And I said, no. I said, there's no way. No, absolutely not. But truly, Charlotte, truly, I forgot that event. I think for the following reasons why I forgot that event. One, nothing ran in the newspaper. So there was no validation of it, you know. Right. Two, my dad did not discuss it with me at all, at all, ever, for the rest of his life, never once, ever. Three, in 1970, I had just gotten my drum set. Well, I had my drums for a few years at that point, but I was in rock and roll, little rock and roll bands, playing at uh, all my eighth grade dances with my friends. I was a little rocker, and we would stare at pretty girls from afar because we had no cars to talk to pretty girls. Right. So in 1970, I was all about drums, rock and roll, and pretty girls. Aliens, UFOs, and that sighting, just it didn't it didn't stick in my head. That's why when I was waiting for my sandwich and that movie beamed into my head, I think I think it was my dad giving me a gift. I think, here's what I think. I think it was my dad sending me a message from heaven. And like, Danny, remember when we saw that UFO together? Well, and remember I winked at you? Well, um, I was trying to tell you something, but I couldn't. But that gave me the premise, the, the idea to write my book after they came. That I started writing my book that day, right after I had my pastrami sandwich. That's when that the book, the idea of the book about I made up a book about a man who's down on his luck, hates his life, tries to commit suicide, swims out in the Pacific Ocean to drown himself. Mm-hmm. As he's drowning, an enormous UFO comes out of the Pacific Ocean directly above him. Beams him on board, saves his life. The UFO flies over Dodger Stadium and hovers over Dodger Stadium. The year is 2033, by the way, 10 years from now. And over Dodger Stadium, two magnificent, beautiful, tall, white Nordic aliens come down, seven feet tall, long silver hair, pale skin, blue eyes, silvery robes. And this guy who just was drowning, they beam him down as well. And they say, people of the world, don't be alarmed. We're here to help you. We love mankind. We've helped you. We've helped your civilization grow. We've been here for tens of thousands of years. And we are here. We want to resolve as many of your problems as we can using our technology. But the one caveat is we will only work through this man right here. Now, the guy's naked. He was just naked in the, in the sea. He's flopping around. And they go, we have a relationship with this man. We will work only through him. Bring your problems to him, and we will help you. And then they leave. The aliens leave. And they leave this poor schlub on second base at Dodger Stadium. And all these camera crews and police and people with rifles and guns and cameras and lights and microphones. And he, 
he was just trying to drown himself five minutes ago, and now and now he's the center of the world's attention. That's how my book starts. That's the opening scene of my whole book. And it turns out it's a very it's it's a really great story. I have to admit, people all over the world have been telling me how much they enjoy it. Um, the aliens are benevolent. They 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 eliminate nuclear weapons. They end famine. They cure every disease. They provide clean drinking water where it's needed. Uh, they get rid of guns. They end the human emotion of of, of anger and hatred. Um, they provide a system by which to control the future of the human population. They reverse, yeah, they reverse climate change. They provide free energy. They eliminate all the, the smokestacks in the world that are belching filth into the air. So a year later, this guy working with these two aliens, a year after he's drowning, one year later, he wins the, he wins the Nobel Peace Prize. And he's the most famous man in the world. And his life was completely reversed and changed. So I got all of that. That's cool. That's cool. For my pastrami While you were saying all that, I had a vision of Brendan Fraser playing the part. Um, well, I love him. I met him once. The nicest guy in the world. In my mind, Charlotte, it would be Steve Carell. That could work too. You know, because Steve Carell could be funny or, or, or sad or dramatic. Right. Yeah. And then and then in my movie of my of this book, the aliens are Brad Pitt and Blake Lively, the two most beautiful blonde men and women woman who ever lived on the earth. It would be that's who it would be. And the president, so this guy meets the president. She sets him up at the UN. And in my book, when I wrote the first draft, it was twenty seventeen. At that time, Oprah Winfrey, there was a rumor she might run for president. Uh -huh. So in my book I have the president of the United States as an older African-American woman in her early 70s based on Oprah Winfrey. So if I had my dream cast, those would be the lead people. So as you were writing this book, I mean, where, where, where did you get your ideas from? I know you got your ideas from that event with your dad, but as far as get, getting into the meaty part of the book, where did that come from? Well, going back to the pastrami sandwich, while I was waiting for the sandwich, I was saw the movie in my head. In front of me was a paper placemat. I asked the waiter for a pen and I wrote down the following things to myself. I wrote, I wrote down, write a book. Uh, and I wrote, lead character finds out his late father knew about UFOs. And then I wrote capital A, capital T, capital C. And Here's the cool part, Charlotte. I'm looking at those letters and I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Why did I wrote the, write those letters? I don't know what that is. And I kept looking at it and I'm like, after they came. I'm like, oh, I guess that's my title. Um, that's the, the very early premise. Uh -huh. um, once I had a lead, I based the lead character on my life, sort of the opposite of my life. I've been very blessed with a lot of good fortune. Uh -huh. So um, I was thinking, what if my lead character has the opposite luck of me, right? Just the opposite. Everything in his life is horrible. So that's the lead character. In the second part of the book, we, the reader, we find out that the reason these aliens chose this guy, of, uh, there's 8 billion people on the earth. The reason the aliens saved this man from drowning 
and made him their ambassador to mankind is that, and this is what he finds out later, 70 years earlier, this guy's father saved the life of a baby alien who crashed to Earth. Mm-hmm. So in by saving the life of a little alien 70 years earlier, his father, it's, well, I don't want to give too much away, but sure. <laughs> it turns out that the big alien who saved this guy in the present day was the baby alien from 70 years ago. So that's why he came back years later to 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 pay it back, pay it forward. Right. That's why he chose this this guy, this loser, to be the ambassador to the world. And there's a lot of other twists and turns in the book. Right, right, right. But that's how I and I had my father, I had the father character in there being a, a UFO research scientist who was working at Edwards Air Force Base at the time. And because my dad used to go out to Edwards and Vandenberg. And uh, White Sands, he used to go to a lot of um, airfields to watch missiles and things that he was involved with being mm-hmm. being tested. So I blended my dad, like a tribute to my dad, I blended him into the story. Now, you say you've, you've seen a couple UFOs over the years. The, so the one, <coughs> the one with my dad, I told you. Right. In 1998, I... At that point in 1998, I had been married and divorced, two small children. My son was eight, my daughter was six. Mm-hmm. And my ex-wife, we used to live in Los Angeles. She moved to Lancaster, California, which is about an hour 15 northeast of, of LA. And mm-hmm. it's the high desert. So at night in Lancaster, you can see the star, the black sky and the stars. There's no smog. You can see perfect sky at night there. And it was, and it's not far. She lived not far from Edwards Air Force Base. So 1998, my son was eight years old. I'm sorry, 1996. I always do this wrong. 1996, my son was eight years old. I got him a telescope for his birthday. And one night, my son and I are in the backyard at my ex-wife's house looking at the sky. And we saw Mars, we saw uh, Saturn, and other close to the moon, I guess. And we were going to go inside, and then I suddenly saw right-hand corner of the sky. It was very, very bright. It looked like an egg. It was sort of off-white, off-yellow color, and it was a craft. It was a thing. It was a thing going across the entirety of the sky very, very quickly in a straight line, straight line, all the way across the entire sky. And then it stopped in the far left part of the sky. Stopped. And I said to my son, I said, oh, there's this, uh, we just saw a satellite. That's a satellite. Okay, it stopped for about 30 seconds, Charlotte. Then it reversed course and then it went back all the way that it came from. Wow. The same line all the way back. And I said, oh, my God, that's not a satellite. There's nothing man-made or not man-made that I know of that can do that. Mm-hmm. That was my second one. Mm-hmm. The third one was really very dramatic. Uh, do you know who James Gilliland is? Yes. Okay. So in 2008, again, at, at another MUFON LA meeting, James Gilliland gave a presentation about his ranch. He owns a ranch in Washington State at the base of Mount Adams, and it's been a UFO hotspot right. there actually for hundreds of years. It used to be yeah. an Indian. It used to be an Indian reservation. 
And people come from all over the world, he said, from NASA, the government, the military, people come to look for UFOs because the UFOs are seen there all the time. So in 08, he gave a presentation, um, which I attended. I had a girlfriend at the time. Her name was Barbara. So I said, Barbara, I go, we got to go. We got to check this place out. She goes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that 4th of July, it was 4th of July weekend, 2008. He had um, a three-day UFO uh, open house seminars at, at the ranch. We stayed at a bread and breakfast down the street. Mm-hmm. And um, during the day, it was like Nick Pope and William Henry and movies and slideshows and documentaries and photos and how they built the pyramids and what are orbs and all this wonderful stuff. And I'm just like a sponge. I'm just like, give me, give me more. Give me more. Just tell me. Tell me because I don't know. This stuff is so great. It's so incredibly interesting. And just give me, just give it to me. So it was, I think it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So during the days, it was seminars, lectures, and film. And at night, every night for three nights in a row, they built a bonfire, and people would be dancing and singing around the bonfire. People played guitars and tambourines. Women were dancing and stuff. And Barbara and I were looking up. Everyone was waiting for an event setting to, to happen. I had a, I still had a big camcorder. It was heavy, I remember. Uh, I didn't have a di- little digital camera yet. I had a big, heavy one of those old ones with the VHS. Oh, I remember those. <laughs> so we're look- looking up and we're waiting and waiting and waiting. So Friday night, waiting and hours and hours looking at stars. Nothing. Okay, fine. The next day, seminars. The next night, we're looking up, waiting and waiting, hours of nothing. And you know, your neck starts to hurt when you're looking up oh. like this for hours. So the last final night was a Sunday night. And I remember saying to Barbara, my girlfriend, I said, you know what? If we leave now, we'll beat the rush. We'll beat all the other cars. Maybe we should leave now. And no sooner did I say that, Charlotte, like maybe three minutes later, a giant craft came out of absolutely nowhere, right above our heads. I'm trying to do this with the camera, right above our heads. So maybe there were 300 of us down here. The craft was about here. It looked like a black teardrop shape. And it was maybe two, 300 feet directly above us. And underneath in the middle was a bright emerald green light that turned on. It was the most beautiful emerald green, like like the green from the Wizard of Oz, the Emerald City in the movie Wizard of Oz, that color. And it turned on very bright and it flashed a beam of light down to us three or four or five times, like on and off and on and off, like as if to say, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. We know you're there. Everything's cool. Uh, We just were in the neighborhood. We thought we would say hello. Uh, Have a nice evening, you know, but whatever, right? And then it stopped flashing and the thing took off, man. It just, it just, it just took off. It was gone. I cried. People cried. My girlfriend cried. Everyone cried hugging and kissing and like jumping. I'm like, wow, what an encounter that was. And I can still, that was 2008. I can still feel in my heart right here. I can feel a warm feeling just from telling you that story. Uh Uh I feel a warm feeling. Something happened that was profound. I would, I would say for me personally and maybe others, but for me personally, it was profound. I became a nicer, gentler person. I've, since then, I've been 
a kinder person. I don't get angry like I used to. I'm much more mellow than I used to be. I'm much more tolerant of others. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was it was a gift. That third sighting was a gift, and I'm very grateful. Do you think you know with what's going on with the government right now? Do you think that we're ever going to get full disclosure? I always tell my daughter's 33, and I always say, I say, you know, I really hope, I hope disclosure happens in your lifetime, Anjali, because, you know, this stuff is real, and, you know, I hope you live. And then she goes, Dad, I hope you live to see it in your lifetime, which is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Steve Bassett recently at a UFO convention. He may be hiring me to be his publicist. He actually talked to me about that. Um, he, his new hashtag is months, not years, as far as disclosure goes. Hashtag months, not years. He gave a lecture that I saw and I thought it was brilliant. Um, you know, there's uh, hearings tomorrow in Congress tomorrow right. in Washington. I think we are inching our way every, every, I think every month now we're getting a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. In 2017, the front page of the New York Times, right? Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal, that article that they wrote, New York Times, huge, huge step forward, huge, enormous step forward. Mm-hmm. The three videos that were released in 2017, huge, enormous step forward. Um, here's an issue to talk about. In February, we all know that there was that China balloon that flew over uh, the United States. Uh-huh. Okay, so it was a China balloon made where? In, made in China. By who? By, by human beings, right? It was okay. a human being. It was a man-made Chinese crab. We all saw it on TV. There were still photos of it flying over the country. I saw on CNN when they fished it out of the Atlantic Ocean. I watched it. I remember seeing, wow, that's so cool that they found it. They fished it uh-huh. out on, on TV. A week later, what happened? Three UAPs were shot down over North America in a row. One over Alaska, one over Canada, one over Lake Huron. Three days in a row, three UAPs shot down in a row. And people, uh, a good magician wants his audience to look at the right hand while he's doing the magic in the left hand. Okay. Everyone in media and the government, China balloon, China balloon, China balloon, China balloon, China balloon. Oh, the other three, yeah, the other three, yeah, yeah, those are probably more balloons, probably more balloons. But, you know, that China balloon, that China balloon, okay, the China balloon, we know, we know A to Z. We know the whole story about that one. How about the other three? They were shot down, right? They've never, we've never seen the, the debris. We've never seen the video of the fighter pilots who shot that down. You know they have video of those. There's no no doubt that there's video of that. President Biden went on TV after the third one, and he said, I'm here to talk about the the anomaly, whatever he said. And Charlotte, I stood up off my couch, and I was like, come on, Joe, you can do it. You can do it. You could be the disclosure president right now, Uh right now. All you have to say is, we're not sure what these three craft were. They may have been not man-made. All you had to say, right? He didn't have to say aliens have been here for thousands of years. 
and, and, and we've been covering it. All he had to say was they may have not, they may possibly be extraterrestrial. He, all he had to say, mm -hmm. he would have been a hero. It would have been a huge door, huge door. It would have been enormous. What Joe said was, well, you know, the one over Alaska, we're pretty sure it was a, a hobby balloon from a, a hobby group in Montana. Really, Joe? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. What about the other two? One was the size of a car and the other one was a long cylindrical object. How about those? What were those, Joe? Nothing. And since then, Charlotte, no media outlet that I've seen has said to Joe or Lloyd Austin or Mark Milley or at our heads, hey, uh, guys, remember those three, remember those three UAPs that you shot down in February two months ago? Um, what were they? You know, because clearly you've had time to get the debris. Clearly you've studied them. Clearly you've watched the video. Can you know, can you, no one, because it goes back to China balloon, China balloon. So I'm very upset about that. I hope the disclosure happens like, like Steve Bassett months, not years. Well, you know, I've seen a couple of things myself that I can't explain over the years. And um, one in particular, because I've always worked nights. So I'm driving home one night and it was a kind of a cloudy night. And I saw this craft down below the clouds, and it shot straight up. Did it, it make it, a, did it make a hole through the cloud? Yeah, and but but when when it did go up through, it lit up the whole clouds wow. as it went up. And um, there's weird stuff out there. So I always have this thought because I think they've been here for years and years and years. That's my theory. I also think. With the, with the breeding programs and all that, I think they're literally here. I think it could be your neighbor across the street, but you don't know about it yet. So I think what the government's doing is they're, they're, they're disclosing this stuff little by little, like baby steps, because they're preparing us. Because when the time comes, the neighbor across, my neighbor will probably get mad at me, the neighbor across the street's going to open their front door, and that's when you're going to find out. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, the the cover the 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 government and military's cohesive program to cover things up starts in 1947. Mm -hmm. It began in 1947. Roswell crash happened. It was an event that happened. There's a lot, a lot of proof that that happened. People in the military on their deathbeds who were there swore to their families that there was a crash and that they saw dead alien bodies. They swore uh -huh. to their families. I don't think you swear to your family on your deathbed, something like that. I don't, I don't think people do that. It's not the nature of human beings to lie about that. Now, in 1947, a couple things. One is, it was only two years after we dropped atomic bombs on Japan. It was only mm -hmm. two years after the end of World War II. Everyone in America was certainly sick of war and, and bombing and, and death and killing and scary things. And then the Russians started to not be our friends anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was big. But even bigger, and I love this story so much. In 1938, actor Orson Welles, did a live radio show from New York called War of the Worlds. Yes. It was a live radio broadcast from New York, coast to coast, 
1938, so think about probably probably people with a little bit of money had radios. You know, you probably had a couple bucks to buy a nice radio at that time. And he did a radio show in which Martians come, land in New Jersey, and start killing people. Well, people who didn't hear the beginning of that radio show thought it was a real news broadcast. And this is all documented. If, if your listeners want to go check this out, War of the Worlds 1938 broadcast. People had heart attacks. People had panic attacks. People bought guns. People were screaming and crying in the street. People were going to the police. People were going to churches and praying. And people from coast to coast uh, were, were having a, a national panic attack. Okay, now come back to 1947, President Truman. So you're President Truman in 47. He would remember the War of the Worlds that was only nine years earlier. Uh-huh. He gets a call. Hey, uh, Mr. President, um, yeah, there's a spacecraft here in Roswell. Yeah, and there's a, we have the four dead alien bodies. Yeah. Uh, what you know, Mr. President, what do you what, what do you think we should do? What what should we do? So what did he do? He gathered his top military and scientist leaders. It's believed that it was a group called Majestic 12, although there's been I've heard disputes both ways that it really was Majestic 12 or it was not called Majestic 12. Let's say it was Majestic 12. His top most brilliant military people and scientists. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, God, okay. Nine years ago, Orson Welles scared the S word out of everybody in America. Two years ago, we bombed the, the Japanese. And now we have a crash with aliens. I don't, I'm the president. I don't, I don't think our people are ready for this. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they can handle this. What should we do, group of 12, majestic 12 leaders? What should we do? Well, the, the, the theory goes that these men, they were all men, created the protocols by which to recover cra- uh, crashed crafts and return them to, to different army bases, what to do with live aliens if they got them, what to do with dead alien bodies, and how to go to media outlets to discredit the story. You know, people from the government went to the Roswell radio station and said, because Roswell radio station did a live broadcast with Mac Brazel, I believe the day of or the next day, and they had to then retract it. And then, of course, there were the newspaper reports that Army retrieves crash disk, and then they had to do another press release. Oh, sorry, sorry, it was a weather balloon. Boy, we blew that one. Ha, 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 ha. Like these guys don't know the difference between an alien disc and a weather balloon. Absolutely. I think probably they knew the difference. So 1947 to whatever year it is now, our government has perpetuated that cover up all this time. People now are, are, are digitally advanced. We're, we're probably smarter. We're, we're hipper. We know more about the world than, than our grandparents did. And uh, for our leaders to still deny us this information, it's just, it's not right. It's just not a right thing to do. So I hope disclosure happens. I do too. Christina in the chat room says, let me get over here. She says, I personally saw an orb that looked like a ball of light. 
as if someone had a uh, white laser beam or flashlight, except it wasn't a, um, let me turn this up, my old eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Never get old, gangy. Um, no, she says, except it wasn't with, with a beam, but this ball of light that could fit in the palm of her hand. She was eight or nine years old at that time. And then she said the second time, around the age of 15, the they remove the see see it says we're moving around very quickly okay she saw i guess she saw the same thing she says this this was at night i was outside my house near the street both incidents and at nine living at the same home i saw what looked like a ufo with different colored windows what do you think was it possible you know it's a i absolutely believe her 100 percent. it's not a question b is i never understood balls of light ufos right because mm-hmm. We are okay. We can we can envision. You can envision a flying saucer, a classic flying sure. saucer, or or diamond shapes, or or cubes. You know the three military videos. One of them is called Tic Tac. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, Tic Tac, like the candy, a long white mint. You uh-huh. know, I saw a literally saw a silver V. I saw a, a, a V. I saw it with right. my own eyes. Uh, the second one I saw looked like an egg. The third one I saw looked like a teardrop. So mm-hmm. because they're all, they're, it's like clothes. They're all different shapes, styles, colors, fashions. Probably different species of aliens have different crap. Okay. Balls of light, right? Is that like consciousness, right? Is that an extraterrestrial thought, that bubble that he's like, sending out emotions and thoughts and feelings and it's it's light because it's not like probably it's not a physical craft i think that's fascinating plus you could tell what was her name who just wrote christina 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 look up foo fighters not the rock band look up foo fighters foo fighters were balls of light in world war ii that flew with American planes, and they flew with Nazi planes, and they flew with British planes, and they were balls of light. They weren't craft. They were balls of light. Americans thought it was a Nazi technology. Nazis thought it was an American. And to this day, Foo Fighter balls of light have never been explained. So balls of light are a form of, I think, a form of alien consciousness. I don't think it's an actual craft. And to go along with her comment about the um, different colored windows, I must have been about probably eight or nine years old, and I looked out my front door. My dad was really into aviation. My dad had worked at Boeing. Okay. In the past. And so he was into aviation and UFOs and all this stuff. And so he was really fanatical about the Goodyear blimp because he, he, grew, he grew up in the 30s in, you know, in Cleveland, Ohio, where he saw the Graf Zeppelin and he saw all, these, all those big dirigibles. So he would take me out to the field, and every time it flew over, he'd say, look, there's a, there's a blimp. So I happened to look out my front door one night, and there was this thing hovering in the sky. And it was kind of moon-colored, you know, like like uh, like, uh, like a cream kind of color. Right. But at first, it looked like the Goodyear blimp to me, because it looked like it was rotating, and it had colors rotating around it. And, and, and I thought it was the blimp at first, but it didn't move. It stayed there for like an hour in the same spot. Wow. So to this day, I still don't know what this thing was. What year What year was that? I must, oh my God, I don't want to tell people how old I am. Um, <laughs> it must have been around 73, 74. 
So it, it, you're sure it was not an advertising sign of some kind? Nope. It wasn't an advertising. No, there was just like this roll lights, like like when you talk about windows on a round view, you know, like like, like having a strip of roll uh, of color lights around it, and their lights were rotating. Well, wouldn't crazy. it be wouldn't it be cool? I've not seen one, but wouldn't it be cool to see a craft like like Christina said that had windows? Because maybe behind the windows you see little you know little like hello. Right. You know, maybe the little aliens are on the other side looking way <laughs> I think that would be great. Well, didn't the hills see that when the hills got abducted? They they could see them in the windows. The hills, that's correct. Yeah, they yeah. could see them in the windows of the spacecraft. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully, maybe I don't know. Like I agree with you. I don't think disclosure is going to happen in my lifetime. I think it's going to be the next generation coming up. You know, the Vatican, I'm going to say 10 years ago, the Vatican released a statement, something like, you know, world, if aliens exist, that's fine, because God made them too. And I thought that, I thought that was brilliant. Talk about, talk about throwing crumbs toward disclosure. You know, the, you know, the Vatican has one of the biggest research science research libraries in the world. Yes. And their, it, uh, their their books are top secret. You can't get in there. Um, they know. The Vatican, they know. Sure they, they know. know. The other thing you pointed out, like, um, those Victorian paintings, you know, from, like, way, way back. And you think about, and this is going back to Chariots of the Gods, because that, that's like my Bible. I'll admit it. And you, you look at the fact that the, all, all the holy people being angels, whether they're angels, whether whether we're talking about the saints or whatever, They've all got that 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 bubble on their head, like right. it's a space like it's a space helmet. Well, like well, like a halo, yeah, like a halo, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, That's very. I never thought of that. Yeah, halo could have been like a space, like a bubble. That's yeah, very, yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, so it's an interesting thing to look at. You know, in I, the Bible, when I love Moses' stories, I love Moses' stories so much. Moses, when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he was glowing. Uh -huh. It's in the Bible. He was glowing. Uh -huh. He had been gone, I think it was 43 days or something. He was right. gone a long time. Before he was gone, he saw the burning bush. But the bush didn't consume itself. It just was a burning bush. Right. So he goes up to a mountain, sees a burning bush, and, and, and then suddenly comes down with the Ten Commandments. No, the burning bush was a crab. It was a crab. He went on board. He was he was among the chosen people, the aliens of that of that time frame. He was one of the chosen ones. Mm -hmm. They gave him knowledge. I'm sure he chiseled it into the stone. He I'm sure he chiseled it with his own That's hands. He chiseled, yep. But they probably said, you know, honor the mother and father. Okay, okay, uh, Mork from Ork. Hold on a minute. Let me let me chisel that. You know. But he was glowing. So he, the, the, the burning bush was a crab. He Absolutely. was glowing when he came down. Well, look at um, Ezekiel. What Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw the wheel within a wheel, which, yep. which is absolutely what he saw mechanical. He said, yep. gonna, I, don't, I don't think God travels in mechanical devices if it's God. No. I don't think it's I don't, probably not God. No, probably not. Probably not. You know. Well, I hope your book does really well. I've thank read part you. of it already. I oh, think it's a great you. book. And uh, yeah, I would love, I, I see what your next book's going to be. I was going to say that to you, Charlotte. I need to come back. Yeah. You have, have to come back. January next year. My Paranormal Life is my next book. Yeah. 
Absolutely, because Hollywood and all that, the filmmaking industry is full of ghosties. They're everywhere. Uh, that book is Ghost Stories. Uh, my grandfather came to me as a poltergeist 20 years ago. I have great, I, I have, I've told people my grandfather poltergeist stories. Their, their, their minds are blown. Um, I've heard voices in my ear, always in the right ear. My whole life, I've heard voices in my right ear of things that came true. Every, every time I heard a voice in my right ear, something happened that came true. Uh, when I was five years old, I almost died, and I think a gargoyle saved my life. But we'll do all that when my next book comes out. I'd love to do that. It'd be fun. How can people find you, sir? Okay, so. Oh, yeah. Amazon, 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 Amazon. After they came, Dan Harari. That's the way to go there. Okay. Okay. Um, if you want to read more about me, danhariauthor.com. Danhariauthor.com. It's all my books, my bio, my history, my Hollywood silliness, and you'll see pictures of me with a lot of famous people. And that's the fun site, danhariauthor.com. All right, fair enough. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was so fun. I, I really can't wait to do this again. It I'm was serious. Fun. It was fun. All right, All thank right, you Dan. very much. Have thank a good you. rest of your evening, okay? You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. That was fun. It was fun talking to UFOs and aliens. I love that stuff. I love his stories. You know, what, what he experienced with his father. Because I know my family and I went through the same thing when I saw the stuff I saw. Like, eh, whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Tomorrow we'll be back on. Uh, we'll be back on our usual time, six thirty p.m., and we're going to be talking about Sasquatch and Dogman. Arla Colette's going to be with us, and she's had some interesting experiences um, in, in seeing Sasquatches and other cryptids. So we're going to be doing that tomorrow at six thirty p.m. Pacific. How's that sound? Okay. All right. Again, if you're watching from Facebook today and you like what you saw, I'm still getting adjusted here. You guys can tell I'm moving around all the time with the mic. I got this new desk a couple of weeks. It was two or three weeks ago, and I'm still trying to get things positioned where I want it. Um, anyway, if you like what you saw on Facebook and you haven't done so already, please hit that follow button, and uh, you'll get like alerts to every video we have coming out. YouTube, youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. That will get you videos too if you click on that subscribe button. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're always looking for subscribers. But uh, if you want to find us again, you can find a California Haunts all over Facebook. You can find my own pro profile on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at GhostyGal. And we're going to be doing some live videos and stuff over there coming up here. And you can find me at TikTok under Cal California Haunts. And we're also at Twitter. So many of them. Twitter, Cal Haunts. And I think we're Cal Haunts over on Twitch as well. Thank you guys for coming tonight. So here's what I always say. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. And this is the time of month I get to do my PBS thing. Bills are going to be coming in around the 1st. And so i got to pay bills like everybody else. Uh, if you can find it in your heart to help me keep the show on the air, that would be great because this show is all self-funded. The paranormal group's all self-funded. And so every, every bit of money that comes in, Helps to keep the internet paid, helps to keep the lights on, helps to keep us doing these great shows. So that would be appreciated. And that's at uh, um, PayPal. You can do us at PayPal at paypal.com forward slash California Haunts. And then we have a Venmo as well. So that helps. Every little bit helps, you know. 
Okay, enough of that. So tomorrow again, uh, we will have Arla Colette here talking about Bigfoot and the Dogman. All right, so I'm going to give you his information uh, one more time for his contact for his books, and then I'm going to leave you. So the website is danhereriauthor.com. And I got a WD-40 my chair. Wow. And the book is After They Came. And he's got a couple other books out as well. He talked about the one book about flirting with fame, but he's also got one called Carrots that he's written. And those are from, you can get those at Amazon or off his website. One of the two. You can visit both. Okay. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. with Arla Colette. Have a great evening, and don't stay up too late.